As we said, we're in the second week of our series, Messy Grace, where we've been talking about being more gracious as followers of Jesus. And in fact, the series has been really instructive to us, really helpful to us overall, because not only have we been talking about extending the grace of God to the LGBTQ community, but it's kind of foundationally a way for us to take a step back and look at how it is God has organized us as a church in grace. He's given us all the same treatment. And so that's what we want to explore with you today, how God sees all of us, and then specifically how that applies to the area of LGBTQ welcoming. In fact, I want to start off with the most provocative question. And we've been holding this question off specifically until this weekend. Is being gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or queer a sin? And that's the question that's on everybody's mind as we talk about this subject together. And in fact, the reason why you find people asking that question just in everyday conversation typically falls within a couple of different camps of thought. There's a couple of different reasons why we ask that question at the beginning of a conversation about being open and welcome to the LGBTQ community, especially in the church. First of all, I want to thank Pastor Nick Price, who's our senior pastor-elect. He and his family were here visiting with us last week. The structure and the scriptures that are included in today's message are his work, and I'm borrowing it today to demonstrate how our whole church is of one mind in this message. If you were watching church online today, you would hear the same words and see the same scriptures. I am so grateful to God for Trinity for our church, that we're able to ask the tough questions and work through them together with the grace of God. Amen? I would suggest this, along with Nick, that this question about whether or not it's a sin to be a part of that community is really just a litmus test. First of all, it's a litmus test for folks who are Christ followers and who attend church services. We are a community. And in some cases, when we come into a fellowship and we ask that question, we're trying to test out to see if the church we're at tells the truth and has a measure of grace with it or not. And it leaves Christians asking the question, do I need to keep listening to this person up front or do I need to find another place to worship? Is this church going to be truthful enough? Is this church going to be grace-filled enough? And as we discovered last week, Jesus Christ is the one who comes as grace and truth together. The truth indeed is not a hammer with which the church hits other people and then mops up with grace. In fact, that's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus is both, both grace and truth together. And the truth is that Jesus came and died for each of us and rose again from the grave for each of us for each and every one of us. And yet sometimes in the church we get confused. And we tend to think that that truth part about Jesus coming to die for us is meant to be used as some sort of um, psychological weapon against people in the LGBTQ community. The Christians fall into that trap all the time, thinking that we wield truth as a hammer. And indeed, we've discovered we do not. The truth and grace are Jesus. But then swing around to the other side of the question. And the LGBTQ question, or community asks this question as well. 
And the reason they would ask the question, is it a sin to be gay, transgender, bisexual, etc.? The reason they would ask that question is to find out whether or not they would be welcome in our fellowship. Like if someone from that community came into our fellowship this morning, I can say this with absolute confidence to you. And I'm thankful to God for you because I'm 100% confident that that person or those people from the community would feel welcome here in this congregation. Would you agree with that? I think folks would feel comfortable here. And as such, we recognize that sometimes people from the LGBTQ community will use that question as a litmus to see if they can find a welcoming place, a place that is legitimately going to welcome folks no matter where they come from in life. How important that is. For that community, it is indeed a welcome sign. It's a welcome sign that says, do I feel comfortable here or do I need to find another church? Or as a majority of the LGBTQ community has done, since they haven't found that welcome at the church, they've created that welcome amongst themselves. They've created a community amongst themselves where they can feel welcome and their very identity is wrapped up in the idea that they can welcome and comfort and bring peace to each other outside of the church. Church, this is where us as a church have gone wrong. We need to be the place where someone from the LGBTQ community can come and find both the truth and the grace that we've been talking about. So let's get back to our provocative question. The question is this, is it a sin to be any of these things or to practice any of these things? See, the issue is that we're asking the wrong question. The issue is that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the word sin and what sin actually means and what sin actually does. See, think of it this way. You know, mom's in the room. Moms, you know who you are. If you're a mom and you're raising children, you know that it's important for children to absolutely run buck wild in the street, right? <laughs> now you're chuckling, why? Because you know that's a lie, right? So moms make good rules. They make good rules for their kids so their kids don't run buck wild in the street, right? So they stay safe and healthy. No dads do too. Today we're celebrating the special rules that moms make. And we saw a little snapshot of what that was like a few minutes ago on the screen, right? Even as that mom was preparing all those peanut butter jelly sandwiches simultaneously. We make rules for our kids to keep them safe and healthy so that when they grow up, they understand that there are limits and boundaries in life. But sometimes in the church, we're tempted to believe that our faith is the same way. And that in some way, if we just simply follow all the right rules, then we'll be spiritually right. But we've been, you know, we've been subject to the truth in the scripture, the real truth in the scripture, that Jesus came to die for us and his death was for all of us. And this faith is not about rules. It's not about the following of rules. Now God leads us and he guides us, but our faith is deeper than simply avoiding sin. And here's the, the point I want to make. Here's the point our church wants to make is that our faith is not simply about the avoidance of sin. And it's not simply about the embracing of right behaviors. Our faith has more to it than that. In fact, the Bible says this, 
The fundamental misunderstanding of sin falls in this scripture, a misinterpretation of the scripture. The scripture says, Psalm 51 and verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. See, here's the thing, and here's what we believe, teach, and confess. We believe, teach, and confess that every single person in this room and worldwide, past, present, and future, is steeped in sin from the moment of conception. Now, I didn't say moment of birth. I didn't say age eight when they're in third grade. I didn't say age 25 when they get a reduction in their auto insurance rates. I'm talking about from the moment of conception, we're steeped in sin. And therefore, all of us are in need of what? Of saving, right? And so when Jesus came to die, he came to die for who? For all of us. And that's every one of us in spite of practices of sin. Let me show you this next. The scripture says this, back in the time of the original disciples who had followed Jesus, there was a disparity in the culture between Jews and Gentiles. Because as we discovered last week, Jews had the things of God and Gentiles were people outside of God's chosen people. And the Jews felt like if they simply followed the rules that God had given them, they'd be righteous in God's sight. And those Gentiles over there, they would not be saved no matter what. But they misunderstood because the purpose of the Jews was to bring who? The Savior, the light of the world into darkness. And so when Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he says, We've already, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So all of us, whether we're in the church or outside the church, whether we found our community of faith at church or outside the church, all of us have the problem of sin. And at the same time, we all have the same solution. One more scripture says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now people outside the church could look at that scripture and say, man, that's really hard news. I don't know if I can accept that. Especially when it comes to matters of sexuality and the way that God has created us as a human race to enjoy, to experience human sexuality. When applied to that idea and taking it across the board, we understand that even someone who practices heterosexuality can still be steeped in sin and still have sexual sin in his or her life. Here's what I mean. You could be married with kids and the Bible says this, if you even look at another person, whether it's male or female, and you think a sexual thought, then you are committing what? Adultery against that person in your heart, even if you don't fulfill it by doing something physically. You can be a married man, and if you look at porn on your phone, you could be committing adultery in your heart by looking lustfully at another woman's flesh or another man's flesh. Do you see where I'm going with this? It's the idea across the board, whether you practice one type or another, we all have the same issue, we all have the same problem. Jesus said it this way, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. It's the place of the heart where God does his work. So he doesn't want us to look at another person and say, your sin is worse than mine. 
that somehow my sin is lesser in the eyes of God than yours. And in fact, this is where the second part of the reading came in today. The scripture says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There's a God that we like to follow. In fact, the teachings of a God we like to follow uh, by the name of Tim Keller. And he had experienced this interaction with someone from the LGBTQ community who came up to him and basically said, as a practicing homosexual, am I bound for hell? And Keller said, heterosexuality doesn't get you into heaven, so how in the world could homosexuality send you to hell? Now, at first, you might look at that and say, wait, the church is compromising its values here. No, we're not. The church is embracing its values here. And the value is this. We are all steeped in sin, every single one of us, and we all have access to the same saving grace, the same grace and truth. And his name is Jesus. So the question is this in conversation. Let me make this as clear as I can, because this is really helpful. The question in conversation is not this. Is doing this behavior a sin? The question in conversation is this. How does God treat sinners? How does God look at you and me as sinners? And how does he treat us? Psalm 103 puts it this way. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Another word for this word fear is respect him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We go back to that scripture that talked about all sinning and falling short of the glory of God. The companion scripture comes around with the good news and says this, all are justified or made right, made just in the eyes of God freely by his what church? His grace through the redemption that came by what? Right behaviors? Well, by Christ Jesus. See, this is the question we ask. When someone from the LGBTQ community comes to us and says, what do you think? Do you think my lifestyle is a sin? What can you say back? You can say back, my friend, let me ask you another question. And the question is this, how does God treat all sinners? How does God treat all of us? Can you answer that question? Can you answer it? It is not by our choices, sexual or otherwise, that God redeems us and saves us. It is by the work of Jesus on the cross. And my friend, Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you, just like he did for me. And therefore, I love you too. And if you want to sit and talk about this more, you are welcome. This is the nature of the true church. So the question is this, what is God's will when it comes to sexuality? How are we gonna 
answer that question. What is it we're supposed to do and how is it we're supposed to live a sexual life as a grown-up and honor God's created order and honor theology and honor each other and care for each other and demonstrate God's truth and, truth and grace, if I can get it out. Truth and grace. We're going to answer this question next week. We want you to come back. Yeah, it's a cliffhanger. We're shameless. It's a cliffhanger. But what I want you to leave with here today is ammo. Ammo against the incorrect church's belief that we hammer people with the truth into submission. That's not our job. Our job is to welcome folks home. And if we get the honor of having a conversation where someone asks us if this lifestyle is a sin, what do we do? Do we go down that road? No. Remember, it's a litmus test. Instead, ask the question, how do you think God feels about us? You and me. The person says, I don't know, I think I'm going to hell. What can you say? Through Jesus, we have redemption from all sin. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these people. And I thank you for those, God, who are not here today, who are sick or suffering or traveling or just taking a day off. God, I thank you for all those who will come and find a spiritual home with us here. God, we ask that you would indeed anoint those conversations, that you would be in them, and that you would demonstrate your grace upon grace, along with the truth that Jesus died for us, all of us. And in such, we are redeemed. His work on the cross redeems us. So this opens the door for conversation. It opens the door for hospitality. It opens the door for welcoming to a spiritual home. We're so grateful for that, God. And so we worship you with the words that we're about to say. We ask that you be ministered to your glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.